A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Lord God has given me a a well-trained tongue that I may know how to speak to the weary a word that will rouse them. Morning after morning, he opens my ear that I may hear, and I have not rebelled, have not turned my back. I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who plucked my beard. My face I did not shield from buffets and spitting. The Lord God is my help, therefore I am not disgraced. I have set my face like flint, knowing that I shall not be put to shame. Verbum Domini.
A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness, and found in human found human in appearance, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because of this, God greatly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Verbum Domini. Passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. One of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? They paid him thirty pieces of silver, and from that point on he looked for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples approached Jesus and said, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time draws near. In your house I shall celebrate the Passover with my disciples. The disciples then did as Jesus had ordered, and prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Amen, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed at this, 
they began to say to him one after another, Surely it is not I, Lord. He said in reply, He who has dipped his hand into the dish with me is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for that man if he had never been born. Then Judas, his betrayer, said in reply, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. He answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and giving it to his disciples, said, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is the, my blood of the covenant, which will be shed on behalf of many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you from now on, I shall not drink this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it with you new in the kingdom of my Father. Then after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, This night all of you will have your faith in me shaken, for it is written, I will sh strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be dispersed. And after I have been raised up, I shall go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him in reply, Though all may have their faith in you shaken, mine will never be. Jesus said to him, Amen, I say to you, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even though I should have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples spoke likewise. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to feel sorrow and distress. Then he said to them, My soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and keep watch with me. He advanced a little and fell prostrate in prayer, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. When he returned to his disciples, he found them asleep. He said to Peter, So you could not walk, keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not undergo the test. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Withdrawing a second time, he prayed again. My father, if it is not possible that this cup pass without my drinking it, your will be done. Then he returned once more and found them asleep, for they could not keep their eyes open. He left them and withdrew again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing again. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Behold, the hour is at hand when the Son of Man is to be handed over to sinners. Get up, let us go. Look, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs. 
who had come from the chief priests and the elders of the people. His betrayer had arranged the sign with them, saying, The man I shall kiss is the one. Arrest him. Immediately he went over to Jesus and said, Heyo, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus answered him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then stepping forward, they laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. And behold, one of those who accompanied Jesus put his hand to his sword, drew it, and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its sheath, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot call upon my Father, and he will not provide me at this moment with more than twelve legions of angels? But then how will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must come to pass in this way? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against me, against a robber, with swords and clubs to seize me? Day after day I sat teaching in the temple area, yet you did not arrest me. But all this has come to pass, that the writings of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Those who had arrested Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and elders were assembled. Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the high priest's courtyard. And going inside, he sat down with the servants to see the outcome. The chief priest and the entire Sanhedrin kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus in order to put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward who stated, This man said, I can destroy the temple of God, and within three days rebuild it. The high priest rose and addressed him, have you no answer? What are these men testifying against you? But Jesus was silent. Then the high priest said to him, I order you to tell us, under oath, before the living God, whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him in reply, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his, his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need have we of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What is your opinion? They said in reply, He deserves to die. Then they spat in his face and struck him while some slapped him, saying, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. One of the maids came over to him and said, But he denied it in front of everyone, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. As he went out to the gate, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, 
Again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came over and said to Peter, At that, he began to curse and to swear. I do not know the man. And immediately a cock crowed. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. He went out and began to weep bitterly. When it was morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, deeply regretted what he had done. He returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? Look to it yourself. Flinging the money into the temple, he departed and went off and hanged himself. The chief priests gathered up the money but said, It is not lawful to deposit this in the temple treasury, for it is the price of after consultation, they used it to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why that field even today is called the field of blood. Then was fulfilled what had been said through Jeremiah the prophet. And they took 30 pieces of silver, the value of a man with a price on his head, a price set by some of the Israelites, and they paid it out for the potter's field just as the Lord had commanded me. Now Jesus stood before the governor who questioned him. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You say so. And when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he made no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they are testifying against you? But he did not answer him one word, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now on the occasion of the feast, the governor was accustomed to release to the crowd one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had assembled, Pilate said to them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, or Jesus, called Christ. For they knew that it was out of envy that they had handed him over. While he was still seated on the bench, his wife sent him a message. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. I suffered much in a dream today because of him. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas, but to but to destroy Jesus. The governor said to them in reply, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They answered, Barabbas. It said to them, 
Then what shall I do with Jesus called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. Why? What evil has he done? They only shouted the louder. Let him be when Pilate saw that he was not succeeding at all, but that a riot was breaking out instead, he took water and washed his hands in the sight of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. Look to it yourselves. And the whole people said in reply, His blood be upon us and upon our Then he released Barabbas to them, but after he had Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus inside the praetorium and gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped off his clothes and threw a scarlet military cloak about him. Weaving a crown out of thorns, they placed it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat upon him and took the reed and kept striking him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the cloak, dressed him in his own clothes, and led him off to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a Cyrenian named Simon. This man they pressed into service to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he had tasted it, he refused to drink. After they had crucified him, they divided his garments by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And they placed over his head the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and the other on his left. Those passing by, by reviled him, shaking their heads and saying, Likewise, the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him and said, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. So he is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. Be trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The revolutionaries who were crucified with him also kept abusing him in the same way. From noon onward, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders who heard it said, This is one who is calling for Elijah. 
Immediately, one of them ran to get a sponge. He soaked it in wine and, putting it on a reed, gave it to him to drink. But the rest said, But Jesus cried out again in a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, rocks were split, tombs were opened, and the bodies of many saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming forth from their tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. The centurion and the men with him who were keeping watch over Jesus feared greatly when they saw the earthquake and all that was happening, and they said, There were many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. Among them were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was himself a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be handed over. Taking the body, Joseph wrapped it in a clean linen and laid it in a new tomb that he had hewn in the rock. Then he rolled a huge stone across the entrance to the tomb and departed. But Mary Magdalene and the other Mary remained sitting there, facing the tomb. The next day, the one following the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, said to them, The guard is yours. Go, secure it as best you can. So they went and secured the tomb by fixing a seal to the stone and setting the guard. Verbum Domini
this Sunday, known as Palm or Passion Sunday, the week before Easter, is traditionally observed as the Sunday on which the church reads and meditates upon the suffering and death of our Lord on the cross. And the account of the passion of Jesus Christ in each of the gospels provides enough food for hours and hours of meditation and reflection. So much so that the church focuses on a different gospel account every Passion Sunday. However, one aspect that should particularly stand out when we consider all of the readings today is the fact that our Lord underwent this humiliation, this suffering, this abuse, and this death willingly. We Catholics living today have the benefit of the fullness of divine revelation and 2,000 years of authentic perennial church teaching. We know in retrospect that Jesus is the Son of God, that he has both a divine and a human nature. He is perfect God and perfect man. And so today we have a fuller understanding of our Lord's sacrifice. Yet those living at the time of Christ's crucifixion who witnessed this ostensible tragedy of the slaughter of an innocent man and who had no concept of a resurrection from the dead other than what Jesus had foretold would have had much more difficulty understanding why Jesus would have willingly undergone such an ignominious death. And when we take a closer look at the readings, we realize that Christ's willing sacrifice is indeed foretold by the prophets. And in today's case, the prophet Isaiah. And it's further expounded in St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. The reading from Isaiah is the third of four servant songs, what we call servant songs. This, This is what they're commonly called and they appear in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah speaks of this mysterious servant, this just man who willingly undergoes suffering and abuse in order to take on our griefs and our sorrows. He takes on our sins upon himself. And then St. Paul today beautifully contextualizes the sacrifice of Christ within the framework of his divinity. You know, Jesus is absolutely divine, yet he did not seek to seize upon his divinity by force. St. Paul says that Jesus did did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. And that word grasp The Greek word for that has a connotation of something being taken by force or by violence. So to give a fuller picture of this, the meaning of this word, it can also be used in the case of robbery or even rape. So it's a very strong word. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus took the route of humble obedience rather than violently imposing his will. And he's exhorting 
his fellow Christians to do the same. Rather than appearing to us as God in all his resplendent glory, he cloaked his divinity with our lowly human nature and deigned to suffer the undignified death of a criminal, though he was entirely innocent of any crime. And he does this in willing, loving submission to the Father. He laid down his life for his friends. It was not taken from him. He laid it down willingly. And on multiple occasions throughout Matthew's gospel, the gospel narrative on the Passion, Jesus affirms again and again that he is not suffering against his will. In his his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, his human nature recoils, just as I, I would imagine many of us would, at the thought of taking on the sins of the world. I mean, that would crush us. But yet ultimately, both his human and divine wills are entirely united to the will of the Father. When one of the disciples draws his sword to defend Jesus, our Lord commands him to sheathe it. He has the power to call upon more than 12 legions of angels to come to his aid. He could easily get out of this situation if he so chose. He has the power to put all of this to a stop in an instant. Yet it is the will of God that the only begotten Son of God should suffer and die in fulfillment of the scriptures. This has been foretold, this has been prefigured, this has been foreshadowed for years and years. With the death of Christ and the institution of the Holy Eucharist the night before, a new and everlasting covenant is established and ratified in the precious blood of the Lamb. You know, in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, it's an, un, it's an unbloody representation of the bloody sacrifice of Calvary. And the Old Testament sacrifices, which preceded and foreshadowed this perfect sacrifice, these Old Testament sacrifices are superseded. They are replaced by this one acceptable sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. There is no other means for salvation. It's this one sacrifice. And when Jesus addresses those who have come to arrest him, he again affirms that the appointed time has come for the offering of his life. The power to lay down his life has always been in his hands and not in the hands of those who hate him. In light of such an amazing love that is truly divine, what must be our response? It should be nothing less than humble submission, gratitude, and love for our Lord with our whole heart, mind, and strength. Although the Jewish leaders and a number of the people were instrumental in having the Lord crucified, we should keep in mind that the Catechism of the Catholic Church makes it perfectly clear that the responsibility for this faux trial of Jesus is not to be laid upon the Jews alone. In paragraph 598, it says, 
Sinners were the authors and the ministers of all the sufferings that the divine Redeemer endured. Taking into account the fact that our sins affect Christ himself, the church does not hesitate to impute to Christians the gravest responsibility for the torments inflicted upon Jesus. And the Roman Catechism says the following. This is the Catechism of the Council of Trent. To increase the dignity of this mystery, Christ not only suffered for sinners, but even for those who were the very authors and ministers of all the torments he endured. Of this, the apostle reminds us in these words addressed to the Hebrews. Think diligently upon him that endured such opposition from sinners against himself, that you be not wearied, fainting in your minds. In this guilt are involved all those who fall frequently into sin. For as our sins consigned Christ the Lord to the death of the cross, most certainly those who wallow in sin and iniquity crucify to themselves again the Son of God as far as as in them lies and make a mockery of him. This guilt seems more enormous in us than in the Jews, since according to the testimony of the same apostle, if they had known it, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. While we, on the contrary, professing to know him, yet denying him by our actions, seem in some sort to lay violent hands upon him. So Christ has indeed proven his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He has redeemed us and he has purchased us at the price of his blood. You know, at baptism, we belong to Christ. He has redeemed us by his blood. He has saved us from the dominion of the evil one. He has rescued us from sin. And therefore, because he has purchased us at a price, all judgment rightly belongs to him. It is he who has the power to grant eternal life, and it is he who has the power to consign to eternal damnation. And we who have been baptized and who remain in his word, obeying his commands and persevering until the end in a state of sanctifying grace, will enjoy the graces and the benefits of his loving sacrifice for all eternity in the resurrection to everlasting life. However, those who have been baptized, most especially, and who subsequently spurn the grace that they have been given and fall into mortal sin without repentance, will be held responsible for Christ's blood. You see, this is where his, the blood of Christ becomes a two-edged sword. It's the very thing that saves us, but if we abuse the grace that we have been given, it's the very thing that condemns us. You know, since the unrepentant have contributed to the shedding of the innocent blood of the Son of God through their sin, they will have to suffer the eternal punishment for their sin. Yet God is so merciful that he receives back the repentant sinner time and time again. 
ordinarily through the sacrament of, of penance. You know, granted that we have a firm purpose of amendment, we're going to do everything in our power to never commit those sins again. So take the opportunity to reflect upon the suffering of Christ today and how our own sins have crucified him again and again. And then we can call to mind the incredible mercy, the amazing mercy that he has shown us in forgiving us our most grievous sin so that we might foster a greater love for him.